Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Gracious Lord, through your word this morning, show us who you are. Lead us in your love. Show us how we can share your love, Lord, and play our part in building up your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take a seat. This, and Ian might show, show you a bigger version on the screen, is our church. Each of the blocks in this Lego structure is a person, you or me or someone else. And we play our part in being in that building and helping to hold the whole thing together. Now, that's about as good as I can do when it comes to Lego. I'm not too good at it. I was sitting on the floor with my granddaughter playing with Lego and this is what came out. It's pretty inspired really. <laughs> it's not perfect. Our church is not perfect. I know that because I joined it two years ago. There are bits missing on this one. Sometimes we can't be here because of illness or accident or old age. Some people I know were so badly abused and traumatised in church when they were young that it just brings back the trauma when they go. They still love the Lord but it's just are very badly damaged. So there are all sorts of reasons why, why it's not perfect. There's someone here, you can see him, he's a, he's a one-armed pirate. <laughs> you might have met him. <laughs> this, is, this is someone who's got their bow and arrow aimed at somebody. They think if only we could get rid of that person from our church, we'd be far better off. Every church leader I know has got someone like that aiming their bow and arrow at them as we speak. We're not, churches are not perfect places. And the question I'd like to ask this morning is how can we play our part in being a builder-upperer, not a tearer-downerer? When I was working as a minister out in the west of Sydney near Penrith, there's a bloke who went from church to church giving the minister heaps Fortunately, he didn't settle at our church, but he went to the, the Uniting Church down the road and he gave my friend Don a terrible time. And he told Don one day, he said, you know, I've got a gift. And Don said, yeah, what's that? He said, I've got the gift of rebuke. <laughs> you know, he knew how to use it. Anyway, let's get back to the... <laughs> let's get back. We'll leave the one-armed pirates behind for a moment. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul talks about the church and how we can play our part. Each one of us, who are the gifted people in our church? Each one of us has received a gift of grace. comes out of God's kindness and favour and mercy. These gifts are given to us by Christ. And they're given to us for a purpose, to build up to play our part in building up his church, his body. Now, when you get a, a gift like my granddaughter got on Christmas Day, now the paper's been removed. She knew how to do that. But some gifts are incredibly complex. You open this up, it says here, 900 pieces. Who gives a four-year-old a gift, a Lego puzzle with 900 pieces? <laughs> Not wasn't me. <laughs> 
42 mini builds, six building instructions. There you go, but I need the instructions. You can make yourself a strawberry sundae or a rainbow-coloured unicorn or a birthday cake. A whole bunch of things you can do with this. You don't just give a kid 900 pieces and say, go to it. If you want them to handle a gift, just give them a bar of chocolate. They can eat that without any trouble. <laughs> but when it comes to Lego, they need help. There's two ways of giving them help. One way, which I, I confess to being one of my sins, was to actually do it for them. They don't need you to do it for them. They want to do it, but they need your expert help to guide them and equip them and prepare them to be able to learn how to do Lego for themselves, how to read instructions and, and so on. And the Lord Jesus has given, as well as giving us gifts, he's given us the gifts of expert people to help us to unwrap our gift, to open up the box and to start to use it. 900-piece Lego is more complex than a flat-back IKEA kitchen. <laughs> Just think of that next time you give one of those to your kids. <laughs> anyway, we need expert help. Verse 11, Christ himself gave these gifts to help us. The apostles, the prophets, those who preach the good news, the evangelists. He also gave the pastors and the teachers as a gift to the church. He gave all these people so that they might catartizo God's people to serve. And then the body of Christ will be built up. Now, when I... When I speak in tongues, unlike Sam Pilly, I interpret. And we're going to look at what katartizo means here. It's a, it's a Greek word, and you can probably guess, you could probably have a rough idea, what, rough idea what it is, and if you remember that passage, you'll know what it is. But let's do a bit of exploration together. We meet this word the first time in Matthew chapter 4. We read that James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John were in a boat with their father Zebedee, they were catartizoing their nets, dismantling them, tearing them up and throwing them away. Is that what they... No, they weren't. They were doing something so they could use them more effectively for the next night's fishing. And we guess, and this is probably a good translation in English, they were preparing their nets, equipping them, getting rid of the rubbish that had got into them and, and mending the holes. The Lord Jesus uses the word katartizo in Luke chapter 6. Jesus gave them another example of a poor teacher. He said, can a blind person lead another blind person? Won't they both fall into a pit? And he's thinking here about people who are moralistic teachers, legalistic teachers, who are heaping a whole bunch of rules and regulations on people's shoulders. Now, if that's what you want, he says, well, you... you you, you can have your teacher who will do that for you, but you'd be no better off in the end than they are. And they won't be in a very good position. The blind leading the blind, that's where that, that uh, phrase comes from. He says, the student's not better than their teacher. And then he makes a statement which is true, not just of the legalistic teachers, but of his own teaching as well. Everyone who is catartizoed will be like their teacher. Everyone who is fully trained, equipped, put into the right condition will be like their teacher. The Lord Jesus calls us to follow him so that we become more and more like him.
And so we read that Christ gave certain gifts to make that possible. He gave all these people so that we, they might katartizo us, equip us, build us up, stretch us, shape us to serve. We need the influence of gifted people to help us to use our gifts, to unwrap them and use them. Now, who are these people? The word apostle can mean someone who was sent on a mission. It could refer to, to a missionary, for example, or to a, a church planter. But, the Lord, but Paul had in mind from chapter 3 the, the apostles that Jesus sent. And we don't have them anymore. They've been enjoying glory for the last 2,000 years. But what we do have is the words of the apostles in the New Testament. We can't grow and develop our gifts without soaking ourselves in the scriptures, including the New Testament. The prophets. There's a wide range of meaning for prophecy and prophets in the New Testament. If you read through the book of Acts, there are places where that refers to part of the Old Testament as being the prophets, or prophets is a shorthand term for the whole of the Old Testament. There are prophets who foretold the future. A famine was coming. There were prophets who helped to set apart Paul and Barnabas for their missionary work. They said, this is what the Lord wants, and the Lord spoke into their lives. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said, this is the fulfilment of the prophet Joel, who said that when the Spirit is poured out on you, old men, old and young alike will dream dreams and prophesy. And we see people speaking in tongues, not the language of ecstasy, but the languages of the people who'd come to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage, telling them the mighty acts of God through Jesus. They were basically evangelizing as they brought God's word to bear on people's lives. In, the, in 1 Corinthians, there's a whole bunch of prophets prophesying in the church, and Paul said, just slow down a bit, one at a time. We need order in the church. One person speaks, the rest listen and, and weigh it up. But what's common for all of the references to prophecy is that someone is a messenger from God. And when the person hears that message, which is for them, they don't just hear the words of the messenger, they hear the voice of God himself. Sometimes people prophesy without knowing it. I remember preaching one day, this has happened more than once, and... Um, doing the Anglican thing, standing at the doorway and shaking hands with people as they leave church. Someone said to me, who told you about me? I said, I'm not sure that we've met. My name's David. <laughs> yeah, but who talked to you about me? I said, I, I, I don't know you. You just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, he said, Everything, what you were saying there was applying directly to my life. You must have known about me. No. <laughs> God was just using that particular moment, that particular talk to, to speak to them in a very personal and powerful way. Whenever I prepare a sermon, I pray that the Lord will help me to preach prophetically, that he'll use my words, first of all, to speak to me and apply it to my heart and life, but also to you guys as well. Prophets, evangelists, we all need to hear the gospel, the message, so we can put our faith in Jesus. Prophets and I mean uh, pastors and teachers. Not every teacher is a good pastor. Not every pastor is a good teacher. But uh, some are both. And uh, I kind of think of the pastoral gift as being 
a leadership role, but a, a more of a caring and caring and getting alongside people, understanding and helping people to to sort of get people who are stuck and whose wheels are spinning in the mud just to make some progress. These gifts kind of flow into each other, but we need all of those in our lives, not just once at the beginning, but right through our lives to help us to grow into effective servants of Jesus. And if we do have these people in our lives, if we do receive these gifts from Christ, it's going to make an impact on us. It's going to affect our thinking, our believing. We'll no longer be babies in the faith, says Paul. We won't be like ships tossed around by the waves. We won't be blown here and there by every new teaching. We won't be blown around by cleverness and tricks. Our faith needs to be settled. We need to be confident of what the Lord teaches, what the Bible teaches. So it'll affect our thinking. These people will affect our thinking and our believing. Our speaking, Paul says, we'll speak the truth. Our doing, we'll speak the truth in love. And our being. See, it's not just what we say and what we do and what we think. It's who we are, what we bring of ourselves that the Lord wants to work on. Paul talks here about, I ask you to live a life worthy of what God chose you for. Be humble. Be completely gentle. Be patient. Put up with one another in love. Wish I'd always been humble and gentle and patient. I can think of a couple of people who left the church because I wasn't those things. I'm not proud of that. It's not. What the Lord wants from us is that we are people who are able to contribute in a unifying way rather than a divisive way. To be able to build up rather than tear down. And given who we are, that's very difficult sometimes because we lose our cool or we're unwise in the choice of our words. And Paul says what unites us is our Trinitarian God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, although he reverses the order, Spirit, Son and Father. This church is not united by our shared interest in machine knitting. Sorry to those who are machine knitters. My sister, in her late 60s, is the president of the Machine Knitting Society of South Australia. <laughs> A group of 10 people who get together every now and then. We're not, we're not united by our shared support of a particular political party or our belief about COVID vaccination, or climate change, or Donald Trump. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many different opinions there are in this church about Donald Trump. What unites us, we're told, is the Holy Spirit. It makes us one in every way. So try your best to remain as one, he says. Let peace keep you together. And he speaks about the Lord Jesus says, one body, the body of Christ, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. Sue's not the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. Our faith, our trust in the Lord Jesus. One baptism, whether you're sprinkled or immersed, we're baptised into Jesus. 
Now, you may think I'm a, a sinner who needs to repent, but I was baptised into Jesus. <laughs> One God and Father of us all. You know, if it was my job to pick the members of this church, not one of you would be here. <laughs> if, if you need to leave now, <laughs> do you know why? Because I didn't know you till I came here. I might have picked you if I'd known you, but I didn't know you. You know, we're not related biologically or genetically, except for the front row. It's through our relationship with the Lord that unites us. And it matters to him whether we are unifying or divisive. And it takes a lot of putting up with. It takes a lot of putting up with. But the purpose of this is, as we read at the end of Ephesians, Christ is the head of the body. He's the head. He makes the whole body grow and build itself up in love. Under the control of Christ, each part of the body does its work. And our job is not just to be fed, but to support the other parts. In that way, the body is joined and held together. You might be thinking, I don't know what my gift is. We'll come to the next few weeks as we think about being shaped for service, how we uncover our gifts, how we learn to use them. Because every one of us, if we serve Christ, has a special part, a unique part to play. It's a short sermon. But I want to share with you something of my own life story, how these different influential, helpful people in the church have shaped me over the last 57 years. So a bit of a, a bit of life story. And focusing in particular on what I'm doing this morning, how did a, a person like me who was born in Zimbabwe, came to Australia when I was 10, shy, and not at all... Um, up front, end up standing in front of a group of people in Newcastle in 2004, 24, I can't count either, <laughs> 2024. If you'd seen, if the 15-year-old, let alone the four-year-old, if the 15-year-old me had seen the 72-year-old me, he would have run away in fright. The thought of doing this back when I was 15 would have been terrifying. But God's done something in my life to give me the ability to, to do this. First of all, and I'll, I'll use a different order to the ones that Paul gave us. I'll start with the evangelist. Came to Australia when I was 10. Within four years, I'd been to four different schools and had lived in seven, seven different houses in four years. I didn't know where I was. I was a lost boy. And I started going to a church uh, a youth group around the corner from where I lived. I met my wife Margie there a few years later. And seven years after that, we got married. And she, I should say, has been the most influential prophet in my life. She can bring God's word right, right to bear on me where, it, where I need to hear it. <laughs> the most influential well, teacher and, and pastoral carer. She's the most um, amazing person, and I value her enormously. But getting back to these ones here, when I was, um, so evangelist first, when I was 15, we had a, a, a preacher who came to our church. He preached 
God spoke to me and said, David, I want you to be mine. I want you to belong to me. And that weekend I gave my life to the Lord with very little understanding. And I learned more about the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit and everything else that we need to know to live the Christian life over a period of years. We need to hear the gospel. And some of us have been privileged to be able to share the good news with people who've actually come to faith. Now, just one example of a prophet. And I don't think this man knew he was a prophet, but it was in year 11 and I was 17 years old. And uh, I'd given a short input of some kind at our youth group. And this man was um, speaking at the youth group that night. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, David, can I have a chat to you? And I sat with him or stood with him and he said, David, have you ever considered teaching as a career? And I said, no, I haven't. Now, he was a, um, a lecturer in education at Sydney Uni, and he saw something in me that, that caught his attention. Now, two years later, he might have forgotten that conversation, but I hadn't. It had stayed with me, and I became more and more convinced that teaching was the way I should go. So I went to Macquarie Uni, and I trained to be a science teacher, majoring in physics. At the end of that, I had to choose somewhere to teach. I was bonded to the education department and I had three choices. My first one was Western New South Wales. How many of you would have done that as your first choice? I, I wanted to live in the country. Could have been Wilcannia or Cobar or Broken Hill or w Wellington. The second choice was Riverina, Albury, Wagga Wagga, Tumut. Could have been a huge area, hay, out in the hay plain there. I wanted to be in the country. Third choice, Newcastle area, but not Newcastle, I said. I wanted to be in the country. Nothing against Newcastle, it was just that I didn't want to be anywhere but in the country. I got sent back to my old high school, Norman Hurst Boys High, just near Hornsby. And I'm glad that God sent me there because I had three very good mentors who taught me how to teach science. I was there for three years. I'll come back to, they didn't teach me how to be a Bible teacher, but they taught me how to teach science, how to stand up in front of a group of people and feel comfortable imparting, sharing information. And in the case of being a teacher, entertaining, because it takes a lot of entertaining to hold a crowd. What about the apostles? Well, when I was at uni, I had a friend who had all these philosophical questions. And he'd ask me these questions and he'd challenge me and I'd try and put him straight. And one day he said to me quite angrily, so you are saying the Bible is the word of God because the Bible says it is? I said, yes. He said, that's a circular argument. I thought, so it is. And being as naive as I was, I lost my trust in the authority of the Bible overnight and I put my Bible on a bookshelf where it gathered dust, where the apostles and the Old Testament prophets gathered dust for the next six years. I became proud of my new position. I looked down on simple Bible-believing Christians. I became a nuisance in whatever church I went into. I should have been zapped. <laughs> but God had other plans. And after six years, I was uncomfortable with this 
where I was, sort of wandering in the spiritual wilderness. And a friend of mine said, why don't you go to David Hewitson's church? He was a minister that I'd heard speaking at Macquarie University, giving some of the best talks I'd ever heard. And he said, I said, why would I go to David Hewitson's church? Because he went through the same issues that you're going through at the moment. And he's come out the other side. And David was an enormous help to me. And a fine example, the most helpful thing I did was to start to read the Bible again. Took it off the shelf, blew the dust off it, opened the pages, and I found something really important. And C.S. Lewis said this. He said, defending the Bible is like trying to defend a lion. Lions do not need defending. They can defend themselves. The Bible has the ring of truth, said one of the Bible translators. And a famous 16th century theologian called John Calvin, from where we get that dirty word Calvinism, his followers were a lot more Calvinistic than he was. It was he, people sometimes... Anyway, he, he, he's... <laughs> I appreciated reading John Calvin for all sorts of good reasons. And um, he said that the Bible is spirit-authenticated. That when we read it, we recognize the truth because God's Spirit opens that truth to us. doesn't mean we suddenly have all the answers or that there are bits that we don't understand or wish weren't there. But basically, we, the, the, the truth stands on its own two feet. That was enormously helpful to me. I started to read the Bible again devotionally. I put the apostles back into my life. Pastors and teachers. We went to... I know this is a bit longer than normal. What I, what I intended was a short sermon and then a testimony. So I hope you can bear with this. Not much more. We went, after teaching at Normanhurst Boys High, we went to Kenya in East Africa with a mission organisation to the city of Nairobi. Anybody been to Nairobi? couple. Um, I taught at a, boy, a, a school called Starehe Boys Centre. About 1,600 students, 1,200 boarders, 400 day boys. Not a Christian school. Most of the boys were sponsored through the Save the Children Fund. But the school had chaplains, a Muslim chaplain, Roman Catholic team of chaplains, and Protestant chaplain who left after a year. And the, the director said, would I mind stepping in and taking on that role for a while? I did that for the next five years. I had to learn how to teach the Bible and hold people's attention at a, at, a, at a compulsory chapel service on a Sunday and at school assemblies in the afternoon. How do I do that? I went back to my friend David Hewitson and I brought to Kenya a whole stack of his sermons on cassette tape. Cassette tapes is the closest you could get to a podcast in 1979. And I wrote out three of his sermons word for word, every single word. And I examined and, and examined what he said. And what's he doing here that God speaks to my heart and to my understanding? And there are a couple of things that stood out. One is a storyteller. And he'd illustrate a point with a story or some quote from a book. He was very well read, as some of the other preachers who preach here are well read. He had good illustrations and stories. And when he introduced a new idea, he'd re repeat it three different ways. I'd be able to cotton on to that we're going to a new section. 
he had a good structure. And he'd always have a takeaway point at the end. And I'd always feel at the end that God had been speaking to me. And so I tried to practice those things over the next five years. And then we left Kenya and I went to theological college. A mess. Both Maggie and I had post-traumatic stress. I don't want to say disorder, but that's probably the right word, syndrome. We'd seen, we'd witnessed some terribly violent, horrible things over that time. People who'd been violently killed. We, we'd been in situations where our lives were at risk, in a war situation or a coup situation there. We were, we were a mess. And I came back from being a teacher with a, knowing my place and going back to theological college and sort of feeling like I was in kindergarten again. And sometimes I'd sit in a lecture or in the library and I'd have to hold myself together as I had a panic attack. Just hold it there, hold it there so I don't fall apart. It was awful. And on top of that, there were unresolved issues from my traumatic, the traumatic sides of my childhood, from all the moves we'd made, a whole lot of stuff that had been swept under the carpet. And I was just like a time bomb ready to go off. And when I did, it damaged and hurt the people around me. I needed help. And it took me seven years to start to get that help. And I found three wonderful Christian counsellors who helped me to work through a whole lot of stuff. I hadn't heard about prayer counselling then and I think sometimes God can accelerate things a bit faster than, than I experienced, but I'd worked through a whole lot of stuff. And I confess I'm still working through stuff. But I took those counsellors as being pastoral carers for me. All five of those gifts that the Lord Jesus provides for us were significant for me in my life. I had a wonderful mentor, a Baptist pastor who was a mentor to me for seven years. I knew how to teach. I knew how to teach the Bible. I didn't know how to lead a church. Many of you who have had management experience would have done a much better job than I did of that. Those are the people who helped me. And if we're going to develop, open up our gifts and wrap them and use them, we're going to need the influence of special people. And I'd like us in our prayers now to think, thankfully, to the Lord of particular people who have been influential for you in your Christian development. That's the first thing, be thankful. And secondly, to ask the Lord to put into your mind which area of your life needs the most help at the moment and who might be or what type of person might be the best person to be influential in that area for you. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for the people you've placed in my life. Thank you for the work that you've begun in my life, for the way that you've equipped and shaped and helped me. And Lord, I now just provide some space for us to think of those people in our lives with thankfulness. And also, Lord, to become aware in the quietness in our minds of perhaps the area of our lives where, where we need some growing in our, in our thinking or our speaking or our doing or our being, who we are. Help us, Lord, 
just to become aware of what that area is and, and who might be a person to help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.